Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Masters of the Matrix. Today, I have another special guest, Kathleen Donnelly Israel, who is a best-selling author of the book Wisdom on the Camino, a spiritual journey sharing forgiveness and possibilities to inspire the rest of your life. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Great to have you. So when I see the word Camino, this is my sort of North American culture coming up. I think of the car, El Camino. So what is the Camino for those that don't know? Uh, the Camino uh, is in, um, well, the Camino Francais, which is the first one I walked, was uh, it's 500 miles across northern Spain. You start in France and you walk across the Pyrenees and then you walk through Spain to Santiago, Spain. To the wow. to the grave of Saint James, the Apostle of Jesus. Wow. Okay. So there is a lot of history. It sounds like on the Camino. How how old is this walk? Uh, it was started in the twelve hundreds, actually, oh. and it was uh, revived um, in the twentieth century, uh, actually. And um, so they, um, the Apostle uh, of Jesus, Saint James actually went to the Iberian Peninsula and tried to um, tell people about Jesus, and he wasn't successful. So he went back to Jerusalem, and they killed him. They martyred him. And then uh, the story goes that he was brought back to Spain with the help of angels and uh, buried in Spain. And in the 1200s, um, the pure, people in the Iberian Peninsula were trying to get the Moors out. And so St. James appeared and helped them, and they won over the Moors. And um, so then they found the grave of St. James, and they uh, started having a pilgrimage to the grave of St. James, and that's how it started in the 1200s. That's amazing. And then Recently, they, um, they, I guess, uh, decided they needed more tourism in Spain or something. I don't know. Anyway, somebody started walking the, the pilgrimage and then it just, um, caught on and people just do that now. That's incredible. How long is this, is this trek? It's, um, basically 500 miles. I think it was, uh, 489 miles, um, you know, if you want to get technical <laughs> and, um, so it, um, you start like in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port in France, which is very close to the border and you're supposed to walk across the Pyrenees. But when I got there in April, that was snowing on the Pyrenees and it was against the law to go over the mountain. So we had to walk around the mountains. Which, you know, walking around the mountain, the it still was very hilly. It was like crazy hilly. But anyway, we that's what we had to do that. Um, and I'm talking about we, but everybody that was there couldn't go over the mountain that day. So when you're traveling on this on this road or this pathway, are you by yourself? Or are you bumping into other travelers? Well, I went by myself 
Um, but the fact is that if you go with somebody else, either they have to be kind or you have to be kind and walk slow with them. You know what I mean? It's like people don't walk the same amount of fast. And so since I was alone, it wasn't a problem at all. I just walked as fast as I could. You know, I, I really felt like I was walking fast, but I didn't pass anybody up. <laughs> it, it, you know, everybody was passing me up because I mean, you know, I'm an old lady and uh, I got foot problems. <laughs> well, the so, fact that you did uh, this is truly incredible. And, you know, that's yeah. what inspires me. And it's going to inspire others that are listening to this because, you know, it's not just about age. It's about your willpower, your intention. And it feels like, you know, there's, there's a spiritual connection here for you with this walk. And I was going to ask you, yeah. what made you choose the Camino versus some other famous trek, maybe in, in North America, perhaps, or elsewhere in Europe? Well, I tell you what, I do not want to walk in North America. I mean, I, I love the mountains, but I am afraid of mountain lions. So, you know, I mean, it, it may be far-fetched for somebody, but my mother's friend was actually eaten by a mountain lion. So, I mean, you know, it's real for me. <laughs> that's, and that's horrible, I just, but yes. it freaks me out. So I would, I would rather walk over there. Personally. No mountain lions there? No, no mountain lions. They have fox, you know, wild boars, you know, stuff like that. But anyway, there's no cat that's going to jump off a hill and eat you up over there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so was there any sort of spiritual draw to this ever since? Like, you, it seems like you know a lot about St. James and his, you know, commitment. Yeah, to so I really studied a lot before I went because I had many years to study. Uh, I am a Catholic. so. And it was a spiritual pilgrimage for me, um, <clears throat> but only about one third of the people are Catholic and do a spiritual pilgrimage. Two thirds of the people, it's that's not why they're there. And um, but I was, I was there for that reason. But I, um, my husband got Parkinson's disease, and so um, uh, when he, you know, he had it for quite a while before he got all like he couldn't walk and he couldn't talk. But after that, I had to be home with him. And so I <clears throat> actually, you know, I thought that when we were old, we would be riding our bicycles across France and stuff. You know, I thought we were going to have a good old time when we were old. And then when he got Parkinson's disease, I was like, oh, man, I guess we're not going to do that. And so I had to make a dream for myself that I, you know, while I was, um, taking care of him, I had to, you know, just be there. And so um, I studied with a lot of enlightened thought leaders during that time uh, because I had to be there. So I, I had a lot of healing to do. I had kind of a rough childhood. And so um, through all this studying, I mean, he had Parkinson's disease. I mean, he was diagnosed in 2001. And then he died in 2018. And from 2010 on, he was totally disabled. So that that's quite a while. And after studying with all those enlightened thought leaders, I felt like I had developed some philosophies of my own, figuring things out, finding out what works and what doesn't for healing and stuff. And I, I wanted to write a book about that. And... Um, Anyway, I, so why did I decide on the Camino? My girlfriend went on the Camino. So Judy, my friend, we actually walked to school 
when we were in high school together. And, um, and so in 2013, she went on the Camino and mm. even though she got blisters and walked with bloody feet and stuff, I just recognized that she was doing something very special for herself. And I thought, okay, when Ron's done with this disease, I'm going to do the Camino. And, and so that's why, that's why I decided to, because it was a dream to have, you know. Totally. And that's, that's such a, you know, I don't want to say, uh, you know, difficult for, for an average person, you know, depending on your outlook of, in life. But I think you need to have some sort of inner uh, will to say, okay, I'm going to leave by myself and I'm going to go to a foreign country that speaks a different <laughs> language than myself. I'm, I'm right. an older person and I got, you know, may have some sore feet or whatever, but that's what is very inspiring about this story. So how did you muster the courage? How did you kind of get out of maybe that old mindset of, you know, it's probably better to stay home and stay safe. Was it part of the spiritual philosophy that you, that you could sort of sort of applying into your life? Well, um, I don't think it's safer to stay home, actually. <laughs> That's good to hear. Challenging yourself is a good yeah. thing, isn't it? Actually, I have some guardian angels. And so I was not afraid because I have my guardian angels. I actually know them personally. And so I just took them with me. Interesting. I want to ask yeah. you about that in, in, yeah. in, in a few minutes. Okay. Because that's a subject on itself. I, I'm big into uh, the spiritual side of things. And that to me is the magic in life. And that gives us sort of, for me anyway, and I've had my own uh, physical challenges. And that sort of magic and truth that's sort of hidden beyond the scene is what brought me back to life. And so mm. I'd love to hear that. So we're going to be uh, asking you questions about that. So you already bit this was built into you then so sort of like to take ch take chances to do things that are outside the normal um it doesn't sound that out of your your wheel box so to speak is that right like this is this is you yeah. before this challenge happened yeah you know um once you've been a i mean i don't know i uh, when I was 18, I took off by myself and went to Hawaii and I was a counselor at a Girl Scout camp in Hawaii when I was 18 or 19, I guess I was 19. And then, uh, you know, I, my husband, um, my husband was gone for quite a while. He used to work all around the world, um, putting in phone systems for Lucent technologies. And, um, so one time he didn't come home, he didn't come home. And so I just, uh, took my two youngest kids and got motel sixes across the U S and uh, just drove out to the East coast with my two younger ones. And, uh, you know, just uh, showed them the historic places on the East coast of the U S and all by myself with my two little kids. And um, I mean, they were like um, maybe eight and 12 at the time. Wow. Good for you. And what a good experience for the kids too. So, and I, and I used to go to, I, I went to school in Switzerland for two summers and I went by myself, actually went with a lady one time and um, I had so much trouble. She just bought a, brought a really heavy suitcase and she was miserable the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my little suitcase, you know, which 
was no problem. Anyway, you know, it's like it's better when you're by yourself. <laughs> it kind of is, eh? Because <laughs> I know myself, I was very fearful to leave when I was, you know, I had a lot of anxiety and all this. So when I see this was already in you at a young age, you know, even though you did have some childhood issues, it sounds like you were able yeah. to kind of put that aside for now and deal with that later on in life. You know, so I, I, I love these sort of like the comparisons here of, of your story. Like you're, you're a courageous woman early on. Yeah. I was just, you know, um, doing what was next. Um, it was an opportunity to be a counselor at a Girl Scout camp, you know, so I did it. And, uh, um, anyway, I, so I think when I travel, I like to travel for a reason. You know, I don't like to just travel and go sit on a beach somewhere. I, I'm usually, and Ron and I, my husband and I, when we would travel, we would walk everywhere. We would, that was what we did. We walked. And so he was an athlete. He actually, you know, we did the, we did the Honolulu marathon together and he did it in wow. three hours and I did it in five and a half hours. Holy moly. <laughs> wow. So, um, he was the athlete in our family. That's incredible. I don't think yeah. I've ever run an, a marathon in my life, nor will I, because I know my limits. <laughs> so I respect that. <laughs> so back to the Camino, how long did this walk take you? It sounds like you, you have already endurance in you. Was it a couple of days? Was it a week? Uh, yes. Well, I was on the Camino for 66 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, most people don't take that long, but I took every Sunday off. Uh, I would, you know, I was, I'm Catholic and I was on a holy pilgrimage and I'd get mm. in to the Albergay on Sunday and I would just lay down cause I was so tired. And then I, I trying to find out when mass was and I found out that I missed it, you know, too late. And so I thought, you know what, I'm on a holy pilgrimage. I'm going to go to mass on Sunday. So I took every Sunday off mm. and uh, you have to stay in a hotel if you take you know, if you stay more than one night. Right. And, uh, and then I, uh, spent Holy week. I stayed in the town all of Holy week. So I became one of the church ladies in the town. I think it was Pomferrata or I can't, I really, I think it was Pomferrata anyway. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. It, oh my gosh. The, um, yeah, the East, the Holy week services on, um, on the Camino were incredible. I mean, just fantastic. I, I wrote all about it in my book. And uh, I mean, there was drummers that were wearing these hats that, you know, like dunce caps, but they were purple satin and they had covering over their face and the, you know, and we did a walking through the town like a procession and it was amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> so on that note, what were some of your best, your best experiences on the Camino experience? Yeah, I, w I guess, you know, I guess that was one of the amazing experiences um, was, you know, that I think it was, it was during Holy Week. Um, it was the beginning of Holy Week, actually. Um, and um, yeah, we, uh, Another amazing, you know, just amazing things happen. Like I was walking through this beautiful forest and then I, you know, the, the road curved and all of a sudden there was this giant 
living room right out in the middle of nowhere. It was no walls, you know, just living room furniture. There were dining room tables and couches that, that were really amazing, you know, art, artsy looking living room furniture. And there was a trailer and there was this guy, he was cooking hamburgers. And uh, so I bought a hamburger and <laughs> it was just like, are you kidding me? You know, it rains here and all this furniture is out here. You know, it was amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. That's wild. It almost, if I was, that was me, I would be thinking, okay, am I seeing a, an illusion here? Is this all in my head or is this really here? <laughs> I know it was just darling. And, and I, you know, the guy was cooking hamburgers. I couldn't believe it because they were like so well done. I was looking at the hamburgers. And I was like, oh, man. Um, but um, then I asked him, will you cook me one, too? And so he went and got one out of the freezer and started cooking me one, too. And That's amazing. And, yeah. And then and then I um, as I was leaving, I actually decided to carry the hamburger with me because I, I felt I felt like I really needed to get to the next place soon. Um, and so as I was walking away, there was this lady lazing in a hammock and she just smiled at me and waved, you know, and I was like, Oh, that must be his wife or something. And they're going to have their hamburgers now. <laughs> <laughs> so you met some pretty amazing people on this journey. Fellow yes. travelers. Other travelers. Hmm. Um, the first, uh, I guess the second night, the first night I stayed in San John de Port at the Bellari. And I recommend if anybody goes, you should stay at the Bellari. You have to make a reservation ahead of time, but um in San John, you stay at the Bellari. Uh and then um uh we went I went to Val Carlos the next day because Orison is over the mountain, but Val Carlos is around the mountain. So um everybody there was in the same boat I was. They couldn't go over the Orison. And so um we all just became really good friends and we made a WhatsApp together and so we kind of followed each other on the Camino. And, uh, that was really lovely. And we, and I, we still, you know, say Merry Christmas to each other and stuff like that. Even now. What a bonding so, that, that is, isn't it? It's really Good. nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of some great experiences, what were some of your toughest, toughest challenges on this walk? Oh man. I, <laughs> Well, one of them was I was walking down this hill and the um, the rocks were like sheets of rocks that were going kind of like this. And you had to kind of walk on the top of this, sh you know, they weren't even. And I was really afraid. That's, that was one thing that I was afraid of falling. I was very careful. And um, so. uh I actually sort of gracefully fell to my butt and I decided not to stand up. I decided to just scooch my way down the whole, sh you know, rock face of the place. Um, just didn't want to fall. And this guy who I met in Val Carlos, he came by and he offered to help me up. And I'm like, no, I'm not getting up. And so I just scooched on my butt all the way down the mountain. And then uh, when I got down there, I was just really glad there weren't holes in my pants because I thought, well, I'm going to have holes in my pants, but I'm not, I'm not getting up. <laughs> and at least you didn't fall. <laughs> and then, and I was in this one place and um, 
you, you know, usually you have to be out. You have to be out of there by eight, eight o'clock or eight thirty in the morning. But this particular guy did not say that. He didn't say you have to be out early. And so I hadn't slept in like four or five nights because of the snoring in the albergues. And so this lady told me, why don't you just sleep in and then you can leave late? He didn't tell us when we had to leave, you know, so that's what I did. And then he came in and he was like yelling at me. I was making my breakfast and he came in and he was yelling at me in Spanish and I didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, I kind of figured what he was talking about, but I acted like I didn't know what he was talking about. And uh, actually, I didn't understand his words. But anyway, um, then he came back later and he found his English words and he was telling me that I was ruining his life because he had other things to do. And, you know, here I was in the kitchen and he couldn't clean the kitchen and he, he had a family and he needed to be with his, you know, he was just, you know, giving me the rat, the rah-rah. And um, so I finished up what I was doing and I grabbed my pack and I went to use the restroom before I left. And he was standing in the bathroom door with the mop and the broom in a cross across the bathroom door. And he looked at me and he said, no, go, you know, like that. Wow. And, and so I just sort of grabbed my pack and went out the door and very carefully walked down the stairs so I wouldn't fall. <laughs> oh my like, goodness. It sounds like this guy had a bad month. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, um, so, so this lady that I met, she said, I think you better just leave now. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to get out there. You know, which door do I go out? You know? And so she, led me to the place where we came in and there was actually a bathroom in there. So I went to the restroom and when I came out of the restroom, that guy was standing there and he had, I had a, um, a medal of, um, the Immaculate Heart and, uh, one of Mary and then one of, um, St. Jerome. And it was on a pin. And I guess when I put my pack on it, flung it off you know, of me and he found it and he came and he was holding it and he handed it to me like he was really apologetic, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, uh, it didn't have the St. Jerome one on there. And so I said, where's St. Jerome? And he goes, St. Jerome. And then, then he went, I guess he went back to the garden where he found it and he was looking for it for me and we didn't find it. And so I, I just told him, oh, well, I guess it's for somebody else. And then I left. But that was really sweet. You know, at the yeah. end, he was sorry that he had done that. Um, but I, you know, and really, I had re I read so much about the Camino. And so I had read that there's crabby people, crabby <laughs> people on the Camino. And they're there to enhance your pilgrimage, you know. So, um, yeah. So. Yeah. It wasn't all fun and games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's a mirror of life. I mean, we have our good times and we have our bad times, and I think it's it's how we deal with these challenges. And I think it's so easy to react from a place of where they're coming from, right? If they're angry, it's the easy road Correct. is to to do what they're doing, and so to come from a place of compassion and just to allow. And I love hearing that. That that's usually how things work. Is like people are shown like you know, the truth, whether they want to see it or not, whether they admit to it or not. 
And through this guy's experience of finding the pen, he was like, oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, he was probably thinking yeah. this must be a holy woman. Look at I yelled at a holy woman or something. Yeah, exactly. And a lesson for him too, right? Like a test for you, but also a test for him. And that's I think, right. a purpose of life, isn't it? To, to sort of Absolutely. help each other accomplish getting through these challenges and tests with as much compassion as possible. And I would say you're an expert at compassion, obviously, from your experience <laughs> with, with your husband and and. and you know, staying and sticking around and, and working through uh, until the end. I mean, I got to give my, my heart out to you and, and your husband. So with that said, did you, I, I kind of want to go on the topic of these angels now, because my, I was just very piqued in my interest in that. How long have you had your guardian angels for? And, and when mm-hmm. did you, when did you meet them? Well, the first two I met when my children were young. Actually, my younger children were young. So I don't know, you know, in the the 80s. um, And this lady in my neighborhood, she had this little group for children. And it was called the Soldiers of Mary. And uh, I went there to help her out sometimes. And so I was there and she was doing Guardian Angels. And um, she had this little art art thing for the kids. I don't know if you've seen the guardian angel picture with two little children walking over a bridge and there's a guardian angel above them. Anyway, it's maybe, maybe it's a Catholic thing. I don't know. It's kind of a famous picture. Okay. And uh, so we all colored our picture and then she said, okay, everybody sit down and you're going to learn your guardian angels name. So just sit there and ask your guardian, you know, quietly and ask your guardian angel what, their name is so I thought well okay I'm doing it too so I said okay guardian angel what's your name in my head and I heard this name which is Lunk and I'm like Lunk that's not a name you know and then I got this picture in my head of this giant guy and uh, me as a little tiny person and this giant guy sitting right next to me on a bench And from the back, you know, our picture, you know, that's what the picture I got. And I thought, well, that makes sense. Maybe I need a bouncer, giant guardian angel, you know. (laughs) And uh, so I thought, okay, Lunk, that's my guardian angel. And then the next year, she did it again. And so when I did it, I asked my guardian angel, what's your name? And I got the name Mary Bell. And Mary Bell is this flittering around, gregarious, happy, laughing angel that's, you know, just the opposite of Lunk. So I've got, that's how I have those two angels. And they, you know, they are my protectors. And Fascinating. Uh, and then so how, how do you communicate with them? How, how do you know that they're around you? Do you talk to them in your, in your mind, in your heart, and they let you know they're there? Or can you actually see them now after all these years? Like, what's you know what? I, I believe that they're there. Um, I actually have some other angels that I have as my worker angels. And um, from a book that I read by somebody named Stephen something, and yet he uses the angels with their numbers. And so when I need an angel to do something for me, I say, angel 23 and 24, angel, angel of light 23, 24. 
come and, you know, let me be removed some sadness for me or something. <laughs> I don't know. But my other two angels that I know personally are, um, I, in my neighborhood, I live right by San Diego State University. And uh, in the evening, I like to walk in the evening, but I smell skunks in the evening. And I don't want to come across a skunk when I'm walking. And so I ask God to send me some angels to protect me so I wouldn't see any skunks while I'm walking. It's just in a neighborhood with sidewalks and everything, but there's a canyon on, on both sides behind the houses. So um, there's skunks out there. And uh, so um, I just got this image in my head of these two angels and they were walking with me and they had their wings up over me, protecting me. And they walk one on each side of me. And uh, one of them's name is Aloysia. And she wears red and black robes. And I thought that was really kind of odd, an angel wearing red and black robes. But really, San Diego State's colors are red and black. So I thought, <laughs> okay, I guess that makes sense. And then uh, the other one is Pio Nomi. And she wears kind of a sage color, very gossamer robes with purple flowers on them. And so. Um, so they walk with me and really I, I I think I I think of them mostly when I need protection mm-hmm. and I ask them to come with me. Because they just hang out. They're you know, I don't really talk to them or anything. I ask them to help me. But So is uh, this a part of your uh, your confidence, your your safety, your security when you walked on the community? Did you ask your angels to be with you? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. they came. They came with me and, and there's so many other angels around too, that you, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, you just, they want to help us. We just have to ask them. And I want to get into that. So for people that are listening and they don't have experience with a direct connection with an angel, right? Maybe they've been taught to think a certain way and they don't maybe believe in this, but they want to believe. How can they get to that point in their life where they say, okay, like, I, I believe this is real for me now. And, you know, because we're, we're, we kind of grow up in this sort of left brain world now, don't we? That's very science-based. It's very factual based. Like if it's not real, if it's not in front of me, then I don't believe it's real. So do you have any advice for people that can take that step and say, you know what? Angels are real, even for the people that haven't believed in the past, how can they get there? Um, you have to go into your imagination. And uh, I believe I, I believe my imagination is real. Um, so when I said to my angel, what's your name? You know, and I got it, it just came right in my head. I mean, I thought it, it wasn't like I heard it or anything. I thought it. So I think um, kind of letting go and allowing I mean, I really don't know because I always believed um, it, it seems like it would be a letting go of control um, and um, being open and, and just listening, you know, and uh, to develop your imagination. Um, I think, you know, I think grace is a gift and people without faith. I don't think they're doing the wrong thing. I think 
their gift isn't there yet, or, you know, maybe you can ask for the gift. Uh, please help me believe. Or, I mean, I, when I thought of these things, they were solid in my imagination, totally solid in my imagination. And, um, and I believe they're real too. I think you need to use your imagination to communicate with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I try in whatever you know, way I, that you see God as, as right. Because we, you know, you're Catholic, yeah. there's going to be Christians, there's going to be Protestants, there's going to be Muslims out there. So whatever your image of God is, you have to, from what it sounds like for you're saying is build that trust, have faith in that process and ask and you shall receive. You know what? All my life, I, you know, you hear of mother nature. I always, I mean, nobody told me this, but I always translated it as mother nature is God. That's what I thought. I mean, I just figured it out. Or um, when I heard of mother nature, I'm like, they're talking about God, you know? So I think mother people can get into mother nature. Um, there's all kinds of ways that people um, find out about God. I, I think um, God is a very high vibrational being. God is uh, goodness. All this punishment stuff that people think of, my take on it is um, if you're not talking about love, you're not talking about God. That's fully it. I have, and I think I, you know, that nobody told me that either. That's just what I believe. If if mm-hmm. you're talking about uh, fear, you're not talking about God. If you, I mean, they talk about fear of the Lord, but it's a translation thing. It's it's um, it's not the same kind of fear as you're going to pee your pants fear. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I resonate with that deeply for sure. It's, it's, um, it's a respect. They should say respect, not fear. But anyway, that's what they say. You know, it's, it's a translation problem. Well, I think too, you, you make so many great points there. And I resonate with that a lot, like nature, you know, and I say in my previous podcasts, um, you know, I'm not a Catholic, but I, I consider myself a very spiritual person. I look at life in energy. I look at life in spirit. And, you know, I think we believe a lot of the same things. We have that same thread and, you know, nature is such a a great teacher as to who we are and Mm -hmm. what we are and how we can find balance. If we just actually look up once in a while, um, you know, try not to be plugged into our bones uh, and get out into nature, like you said, and, and spend time in nature, spend time by yourself, look up at the night sky and just look at the magnificence as to the creation that is before us. And I think if you just, like you said, let go early. You were saying let go and just let go and just be willing to step outside of what you think you know and allow that new vision to come into you. And I think if you ask, you shall receive. I believe in that, that energetic transaction. You ask and you shall receive. They speak about that in the Bible, do they not? Right. Yeah, I yeah. think that um, we... Um, Well, I don't know about other people, but I just know about myself. And um, I I believe that I have a healthy disrespect for um, my religion. You know, the things that are 
I mean, my children maybe would say, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to be associated with that. And for me, I'm thinking, gee, you know, if all the good people go away from the church, what's going to be left? You know, you, you know, you know what I mean? Who's going to fix it if, if all the yeah. good people go away? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that's going to work. And um, I think the mysticism of the Catholic Church is very profound. Um, I believe that I, when I say my prayers, when I go to Mass, I do raise my vibration. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about, raising your vibration and creating grace around yourself so you can have a good life. Um, if we're doing stinking thinking, then we're going to have a stinking life because we're attracting all the stinking stuff. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you, you gotta, you gotta have, um, you gotta change your mind, number one, and you gotta find ways to raise your vibrations so you can, um, be happy. So how, how does, how does Kathleen deal with fear? Say fear comes at you in whatever way it comes at you. What is your process to break through that or break that down to get back to the the regular you? Well, I have to say that breathing is very important. Uh, When we are stressed out, we do high chest breathing and uh, we don't use our full lungs for our breathing. And then we get anxiety because our body's going, hey, I need some more oxygen. You know, Maslow's, Maslow's, uh, you know, pyramid or whatever it is, uh, they, they say it starts where it starts. But you know what? It starts at breathing. You need breathing more than anything. And when we don't breathe enough, then we get anxiety. And so, and high chest breathing causes, you know, you're not to have enough oxygen and your body is like, freaking out because it needs oxygen and we don't even know it because we're just having our stress, you know, that's, that's what I think. So step, step back and take a breath. If you're, if you're taking shallow breaths, step out of that situation, whatever you're in. And if you are at work or if you're in your car, take some deep breaths, full breaths. And, you know, I were so resonant with that. This is something I've always been talking about for ways that people can actually get grounded to get into the moment and breathing always comes up as like number one. It's the it's most our basic number thing. one need. You cannot live yeah. more than, you know, X amount of minutes. I think it's five, but some people say three, I don't know. Um, but um, either way, it's not long. Yeah. Not long. Without <laughs> oxygen. Water or food. That's the number one thing is yeah. the oxygen. That's right. And, and um, yeah, water's next and, you know. <laughs> and, and I think that's interesting because, you know, like for people that are out there and they're trying to work through this fear and there is obviously a lot of fear going on in the world. And so I think if we just succumb to the programming of what we're being told to fear, then we just become sort of like an automaton reacting, always just reacting. So I think we have to sort of do some inflection and, you know, spend that time within yourself to get to know yourself, to trust yourself and get to know yourself when you're out of balance, right? So if, if you're not breathing right, if, you're, if your heart rate is up, if you start sweating, if you start panicking, then you can actually be like, you know what? I'm not in my balanced state. It's time for me to step back, go for a walk in nature, take some deep breaths, do some yoga, do some meditation, play some sports, whatever that is for you to find that peace and balance because it is there available at any time. Would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I teach, actually, I teach transformational breathing. I'm a tra- transformational breathing facilitator. And um, so, I mean, I know about it and my clients, I'll lay them down and look at their breathing and I can see, okay, you're not breathing in your chest area. You must have had your heart shut down by someone or you're not breathing in your belly. You had your free will shut down. And most people are only breathing like 20% of their capacity. We need to breathe in our full lungs. And um, so miracles happen when, when I breathe with people. So I love that. So what, what have you seen? Like what sort of experiences, what sort of changes or transformations have you seen someone go through that has before they've seen you and then they go through transformational breathing? What are some of the transformations that you've seen? Well, um, I also have a body map and I use um, the Louise Hay book. You can heal your life. It's got a list of all the things that could possibly be wrong with you. And then they have the reason for it and the affirmations to counteract that. So I use the affirmations in the breathing session. And I had this one lady, she was actually, she had a Grammy, you know, she's a singer and um, she couldn't do it anymore because her foot hurt so much. She couldn't dance anymore. And she came to me to do the breathing. And um, so I use the Louise Hay book. I think the foot, the foot, the ankle where she was hurting was something about there's somebody, there's one particular person in your life that you cannot forgive. And so I was doing the breathing session and I, um, you know, I was working around her ankle and I gave her the affirmations um, about that. I don't remember what they are. And uh, I, I mean, I kept hitting it. Like I didn't know who she wasn't forgiving. So I said, I forgive my son. I forgive my, you know, all these people. I, I didn't know who it was, but I just kept hitting at it because she obviously still needed it. Um, and then all of a sudden she sat straight up and she said, I just, I just forgave my aunt. I swore I would never forgive her. Uh, she was so mean to my mother, you know? And, um, and so she got to put that together. She got to heal from that. And it was so amazing. I I worked with a a lady with breast cancer and she absolutely was not breathing in her chest area. And uh, so I, um, and she was a smoker. And uh, so I, I did the breathing with her and did the affirmations. I think uh, breast cancer is like um, a problem with nurturing, like um, you want to nurture and you can't or something like that. And I did the affirmations for that. And um, she got over her cancer. And after that, she used to go in the, after work, she would go out in the backyard and have a cigarette. So after I taught her the breathing, then she used to go out in the backyard and do a breathing session for herself in the backyard after work instead. So she, she got Incredible. to get away from that. Yeah. Isn't that so interesting how through this, lack of forgiveness within ourselves, how they can manifest in our bodies in ways that we wouldn't even think that they're connected to. No. Like you're talking about someone with a, with a foot issue and then breast, yeah. a breast cancer. And mm-hmm. through this transformational breathing, they're able to mm-hmm. see that and release it. Yeah. How powerful is that? Yeah, that must that's... be very fulfilling for you in order to, to uh, play this role for people in their lives. Yeah. 
I know I had one lady, she had just broken up with her boyfriend. And I guess, you know, it, it was her that did the breaking up and she felt really awful. And she came and she did a breathing session and she went out and she was happy. She wasn't sad anymore because she got to breathe on it. And, you know, it, um, you know, anyway. It's incredible. So, I mean, is there anything like other than, you know, I guess if people are interested in going through a session with you, they can book you. But is there any sort of tips that you can provide someone that is, you know, just, just to get them through the day, if they're having a panic attack or if they're having a sore right. back, like, is there anything that they could do in the meantime to help themselves? Well, um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to just tell you about it, but this isn't transformational breathing, but it transformational breathing is something that you would need to do with someone, you know, personally, but, um, one great thing to do is uh, breathe into the count of eight, breathe out to the count of eight. Um, when I, uh, when I go to the doctor and, you know, you go to the doctor and you're kind of stressed out going to the doctor and then they take your blood pressure and it's high. And I'm like, Oh man. So, um, so I do this breathing when I'm sitting in the waiting room. When I go in there, my blood pressure is great. Um, so I breathe in eight, breathe out eight, you know, and just do that until they call me in. And then, uh, yeah. And your blood pressure is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So powerful, this healing method. Where did you learn this? Oh, the, the transformational breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I used to be a graphic designer and I was in a networking group and this lady, uh, you know, she was, talking about breathing and me personally, I had bronchitis or pneumonia twice a year, every year since I was four years old. And, uh, even in my adulthood and, um, my, my doctor had taken pity on me and sent me to a biofeedback breathing class. And I learned biofeedback associated with breathing And I was never sick again after that. And so when I was at that networking group and I heard them talking about breathing over in the corner there, I was like, me, you know, so I I made her tell me about it. And then I, I went uh, to the introductory, you know, evening and uh, the late, uh, the lady, uh, Judith Kravitz asked, um, you know, who wants to be my guinea pig or who wants to have a, breathing analysis. And I went, me, you know, so I went up there and yeah, my breathing was very shallow. And um, I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to become a facilitator. And Absolutely so, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's something that comes to my mind when you're speaking about breathing is I know that when babies are first born and if you actually watch them breathe, they, they take a full breath to their stomach. Yeah. They breathe how humans should breathe. And then as they get older and they start to take on all this fear and trauma around them. Well, yeah, they, they, they start to get take their free will. They get their free will shut down or their, yeah. their heart broken. Yeah. And um, there's so many different things. I mean, right around your, at the bottom of your ribs is your fear belt. And so I work with people push in there. And if I, if they go, you know, like wincing, then I know that's an issue for them. And then I can um, do the affirmations for that while they're breathing. 
That's very cool. So can people actually sign up on a session with you? Yeah. Or, you know, you can go, you know, for me, yeah, you could have a session with me, but there's a website, um, transformationalbreath.com or breathing.com. I think she has all of them probably. Um, And uh, you can go and find a facilitator near you. Like, you, you know, I live in San Diego. You could come to me. I mean, Maybe it'd be even tax deductible to come to San Diego to do breathing, right? <laughs> I don't know. You have to talk to your tax person, but um, you so know. this has to be done in person. You can't do this I, online. I think so. I there is a there's a, you can do it online with someone. Um, anyway, uh, if there's no one near you, you could call me. I'll do a breathing session with you online. Um, that's but, really interesting. Um, anyway. I, I, I resonate deeply with, with this breathing work and how powerful it can be like the single tool to really get to the source of so many issues that it, it would blow people's minds. And you know what, what we've been talking about, about this breathing stuff, I mean, I'm just resonating very deeply with. So I think all my listeners out there, if you're having any sort of issue, notice your breath. Are you breathing in shallow? Are you breathing in just to your upper chest? Are you, are you taking deeper breaths or, you know, or likely are we all breathing a little more shallow than we should because of, like you said, our will has been taken away or whatever we've trauma we've experienced. And so one to recognize I, that. One thing I want to say about worrying is um, that worrying is what it is, is it's making up a sad story and believing in it. So the things we worry about, maybe we have some history with it and it turned out this way last time. And, you know, and the, the thing is that we have the news now. And so we can hear about the, all the horrible things that happen all over the world to every little child and everything. And um, so that's going to put us on high alert more than we would be if we didn't have that. Um but like I say, um, trauma can cause um, us to think in a certain way and not notice the possibilities. There's endless possibilities of how things could turn out. And if we see something and that happened to somebody over in Luxembourg or something, you know, where we're not even at. And um, so we're afraid to go out our door type of thing. Um, that's not, you know, um, it's, it's a healthy thing to do is to think of all the possibilities, not just the horrible possibilities, because the horrible things that could happen didn't happen maybe yet. And if we, um, impose those sad or fearful ideas on somebody else, I want to say that we are actually cursing them, you know, instead of um, blessing them. Um, it, it, It seems kind of harsh to say that because mostly people say, of course, I'm worried about you. I love you. But really what it is, is, of course, I am worried about you. I have an idea that I made up in my head about what could happen to you. And I'm thinking it and I'm believing it. That's not, that's not right. It's not real. I hear you there. And, you know, I think on top of that, to make it doubly worse is our body responds to our thoughts and our, our, Mm -hmm. our belief systems. 
So they don't know, it doesn't know if we're really experiencing that or not. It's just feeling, pumping the fear into our bodies. And so right. like you bring up such a great point of us holding that energy on other people and as well as sort of like cursing our own bodies to carry this things that aren't really necessary to carry because they've never really happened anyway, have they? It's just a potential Perhaps scary we thing. We will be blessed and not have that that situation the next time we try this or something, you know. Exactly. And you know, I I believe in the fact of what we believe filters our world. And I think Absolutely. you believe this too. Because mm-hmm. you know, if I'm thinking negative thoughts all the time, I'm gonna attract a negative situation sooner or later. And the more fear we put into it, the quicker it's gonna manifest. Right. Because we're we're I believe we're little mini creators too, creating our own little mini experience here on earth, right? Under the umbrella of 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 the creator. Um, so we have very powerful creation abilities that most of us don't really take we we take it for granted. And you know, I think we have to look within ourselves to take that power back. Absolutely fascinating. So I want to ask you one more question here. Um, what are you working on now, Kathleen? What's 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 your what's your future look like? What are you writing another book? Are you working on transformational breathing? What are you up to? Yeah, I well, you know, I've got the breathing here and um I am writing my next book. I actually uh, did the Camino Portuguese from Portugal, from Lisbon, Portugal, up to Santiago um, in uh, last year during COVID. Ah, and uh, <laughs> and um, so I, I need to write that book now, right now. And uh, I think I'll go cross country skiing in Vermont in in February. And uh, let's see what else. Um, oh, I'm uh, I, I'm studying graphic design. I used to be a graphic designer, and I forgot how to use all those programs. Everything's different now, so I'm taking courses right now to do that. That's amazing. You're, <laughs> you're, you definitely sound like you're very busy, and that next book sounds very interesting as well. So I want to say, um, you know, before we say goodbye, is there anything that you would like to say to the audience? Yeah, I want to, you know, I want to tell you that I have a gift for everyone who reads my book, Wisdom on the Camino by Kathleen Donnelly Israel. And uh, the gift is my pictures. Uh, I took a lot of pictures uh, while I was on the Camino and I posted them for my friends on Facebook, but and so when I wrote the book, they were like, oh, man, you need to you need to put these pictures in the book. And I'm like, yeah, and the book will cost $50. So um, so I made a website and with a portfolio and galleries of pictures for each of the chapters. So in the beginning of my book, there's a page. It's not the real beginning, but kind of in the beginning, it says, read this first. And then uh, it sends you to my website and you have to double opt in. You know, I'm sorry about that, but you have to double opt in to go to my website and see the pictures. And that's my gift to my readers. Beautiful. Well, I'll certainly be leaving the links to your book and more about Kathleen in the podcast notes below. And I just want to say, Kathleen, it's been an absolute honor to speak with you and to share your experiences with me and uh, the audience here. So thank you very much. Thank you, too. It was very great. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you again.